Blog Talk Radio. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. Welcome to Poetry Superhighway Live. My name is Rick Lupert. It's Sunday, July 22nd. At least it is today. You might be listening to this show in the archive, in which case it's a completely different day. I suggest you consult your calendar. I can't be responsible for this kind of information. Uh, welcome. It's actually the five-year anniversary of Poetry Superhighway Live. We've been doing a monthly broadcast, broadcast here on Blog Talk Radio for five years uh, as of this month. Uh, typically, it's our monthly open reading in which anyone is invited to call in and uh, share a poem and talk about what's going on in your poetry world. But this month, it's a special show. As you may know, we have just started our 15th annual poetry contest, uh, open to everybody. And we, every year, take this particular month, and instead of having our regular open reading, we have a conversation with our Poetry Superhighway judges. This is actually, our contest judges, this is actually the uh, sixth time we've done this particular show. And this particular show was the one that launched Poetry Superhighway Live five years ago, I guess it was. So it's a special occasion. I hope that you uh, can have a cupcake or something while you're tuning in. So a couple of notes. We will resume our normal uh, open reading schedule as of uh, next month. Our next show will be on uh, August 19th, which will be an open reading open to everybody, and you can check the calendar online to see what, what else is going on. So, uh, our contest has started just a, a few weeks ago, and the three people who are judging it are the people who actually took the top three spots in last year's contest, the people who actually won the contest, and that they are Amber Decker from Memphis, Tennessee, who won last year's contest in first place. Hi, Amber. Hey, Rick. It's actually um, Hedgesville, West Virginia. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry. Okay. So who lives in Memphis? Did I just uh, – I guess I cut and paste that infamous wrong. Is that you, uh, Buxton? That's a Buxton, yeah. You guys didn't switch places just to confuse me, did you? Well, I've no, often wondered <laughs> wonder what it's like to live in West Virginia or Nova Scotia. Well, that is the next uh, project of Poetry Superhighway Live, uh, an exchange not just of poetry but of poets. We're going to actually transplant people to different cities and just see what happens. Um, I, would, I would never punish someone that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Welcome to both of you. So uh, Buxton Wells is here as well from Memphis, Tennessee. And Amber, you're here from, from Hedgesville, West Virginia. Uh, Brenda Levy-Tate is our third judge. She took second place in last year's contest. She is indeed, as mentioned, from Tuscott, Nova Scotia, uh, Canada. Um, waiting for her to call in. Not 100% sure she's going to make it, but um, I know she is uh, is trying. So uh, we'll uh, we'll see if we get to talk with her as well. So um, at least I have uh, you two with me. I'm very glad uh, that you're here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be here. And just a, a, an initial question. I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about about both of yourselves, um, uh, what you do, where you live, what um, that kind of thing, how you came to poetry. 
um, when did you start writing poetry, that kind of thing. Amber, why don't you start? Um, well, let's see. Uh, I'm from West Virginia, as you said earlier, not Memphis. But uh, um, I actually, um, actually a warehouse worker, pretty blue collar area around here. Um, but uh, um, I travel a lot. I'm in college right now. I'm an English major. Um, I'm a pretty big Dungeons and Dragons geek and into video games and that kind of thing. Um, I actually came, I'd say I came to poetry probably in high school. I must have been about ninth or tenth grade. Uh, someone actually gave me a uh, a book called Ple- uh, Verses That Hurt, Pleasure and Pain from the Poem from Poets. And um, prior to reading that book, I had actually thought that poetry, you know, my, my initial exposure to poetry had pretty much been in English classes and things where you read the classic poets and they make you dissect the hell out of them and beat them to death, basically. So I, I never really realized until reading that book that poetry could be not just uh, not just uh, an art form with, you know, beautiful language and and insightful and interesting and all of that, but it could also be very accessible and very uh, open to the public, shall we say, and not just academic. So that's that's pretty much my story. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah, I, I think the the challenge of poetry in in modern times for probably most of the world, um, certainly uh, I would suggest the majority of Americans is it's. Um, maybe seeming uh, inaccessibility, you know, um, and and I think there's so much there's there's so much modernity to poetry these days that people just aren't aware of, and it's and it's 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 kind of a cool thing, um, as apparently is your st- is evidenced in your story that when someone actually gets exposed to 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 modern poetry that kind of opens their eyes to to the possibility of what poetry can be. Not that there's anything wrong with with, with the classics or you know what what is dissected in English class, but it, it the art form has continued to develop you know with a modern sensibility. Oh yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, uh, do, uh, uh, what what level is your most prized character in in Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> well. Um... Actually, I haven't played seriously for a couple of years, but I did have a level 22 uh, mage for a while until she met an untimely death. <laughs> Unfortunate. Yeah. Unfortunate. Um, cool. Well, glad to have you. Glad to have you here. Um, Buxton, what about you? Same same question. Where? Uh, what do you do? Where you live? And how did you come to poetry and that kind of thing? finally arrived at I do, I do live in Memphis um, I um, I actually work as a physical therapist uh, have done that for a number of years and in, in a former life I was a an art major uh, and uh, but that's been quite a long time ago um, as for when I started writing poetry um, I, I I started some in, in high school like so many people did um, and you know, I tried to develop an interest in, in poetry. I remember sometime during that period, maybe first year of college, I actually bought 
think it was the collected poems of Wallace Stevens. Um, what I remember about that was that it was completely incomprehensible. Uh, and, I, and I haven't really made that much headway with him since then, but uh, I often found myself holding that book and wondering why, because I was lost in its uh, Francophile uh, imagery and, and such. Uh, I think what really got me started, and I think something I, I, I drew on, was going back farther to hell, Sergeant Pepper and The Doors' first album. That's... Um, I was telling a, an old friend of mine how Strawberry Fields Forever changed my life, and he thought that was kind of an over-the-top statement, except it's true. Uh, John Lennon was an artist, uh, and, and I said, I want to be that. And, you know, the lyrics he, he wrote maybe don't carry so well. You could say, you could sniff about Jim Morrison's lyrics and say it was bad romantic poetry, but it blew me away at the time. You know, he refer, referenced William Blake. Uh, and, you know, from that I... I, I studied Blake, and from then went to Yates, and, and so on and so on. So that's where I got started there. But I I guess I started writing in earnest, thinking about putting things together, and then thinking about trying to publish around the year 2000. That's hmm. how I've been doing it. So it's been a while. Um, you know, I, there, there's definitely a strong connection, I think, between music and poetry. Um, and, you know, I, I guess in particular with modern lyrics there's stuff that works better as a song than if than just kind of reading it out loud where it might seem you know not not as strong poetically but uh certainly Jim Morrison was a poet and 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 I would I would say the same for John Lennon too but the the idea that just being an artist as as you suggested um um, I've, I've always thought that you know, as an artist, you you can direct your particular artistic nature in any direction. You might choose to take the idea that you have and put it down uh, in words uh, in a poem, or you might take the same idea and 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 make a painting or something. It really all comes from the same place, I think. Yeah, well, I I quite agree. But uh, uh, sitting down and writing seems to be. Uh, tidier than than trying to do paintings and large sculptures and all those other things uh, uh, you do what you can and the time for doing things seems to be shrinking as well so you kind of adapt and the the materials are certainly less expensive for writing oh yes 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 all you need is a pair of running shoes and uh, and a place to sit <laughs> if, if, and avoid running at all times as satchel page once said Indeed. All right. Well, great. Um, we'll get to know a little bit um, about your past and how you both uh, came to poetry, as it were. So you both uh, placed in last year's contest uh, amidst um, amidst hundreds of entries and many other poets. You rose to the the top of the heap. Um, I, I'm wondering about your experience in in last year's contests. Um, in particular, do you uh, do you enter many contests? Is there anything um, different or particularly unique about your experience in the Poetry Superhighway contest. Um, yeah, uh, in this particular one, if, if I can even answer that question for you both, everyone gets a prize just for entering. Of course, you guys got prizes for for winning as well. But did you get any anything? What prize did you get? That kind of thing. Um, Amber, how about you? Uh, well, my experience with uh, this contest was extremely positive. I. Uh, one of the things that, yeah, 
one of the things that really attracted me to it is that it's it it doesn't have that that cloud of sort of I don't really know how else to say it. I guess I'd say arrogance, but a lot of some of the I don't know prestigious contests seem to have that sort of intimidates people, especially beginning poets and writers and sort of makes them shy away from that kind of thing. So I think that the the atmosphere of it is very sort of casual and and welcoming, and I really like that. And um, I don't know. I um, as far as as prizes, I got uh, that I got a feature in uh, I think Brand Foley Review that was in there for about a month. That was really cool to do the interview for that and um, the uh, French uh, translation of my poem that Walter Roman did, which was really great as well. I I, I was really floored about that because I'm studying French now in school and it, I'm absolutely terrible with it. But it was it was really cool to see that. Yeah, that's that's very cool. I mean, you know, there's there's so many different kinds of prizes that people uh, donate, and you know, typically it's it's something that's going to get mailed to you, a book or something like that. But uh, but um, the folks at Ranfurly Review, and and I believe that they have uh, offered that again this year. Um, you know, have offered to the 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 top three uh, uh, winners, or was it? Yeah, I think it was all three. Um, you know the opportunity to be to be published and have your poems translated in French. So that that's a kind of a unique thing as well as as uh, as expanding to a whole other other audience. You know, um, and 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 what an honor to have your poetry translated as as well. You're you're both kind of uh, have have kind of a uh, an interest in in French things. I see Buxton. You mentioned uh, uh, being uh, lost in the Francophile uh, images. Uh, Earlier as well. Well, maybe I meant to say put off, actually. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, because yeah, I took two years of French too and didn't learn a damn thing, and all it, the you know Wallace Deesman certainly just underscored <laughs> that for me. Uh, so yeah, just to correct that impression. There you go. Um, um, well, may, perhaps we can have you two arm wrestle to settle, you know, uh, whether whether French. Culture and imagery is is good or bad. Uh, maybe towards the end of the show, if there's time. Uh, uh, let me let me play devil's advocate, Amber, with something that you said earlier. You you mentioned uh, 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 the, you know the more prestigious contest. Now I don't I know you're not saying that the poetry superhighway contest is a pedestrian contest. Oh no. But um, uh, uh. It, what, what, how would you describe the the poetry superhighway contest, uh, if not per se prestigious and intimidating? Well, I it's it's not that I don't think of it as prestigious. Such that's, that's the word that came to mind when I was thinking about this other contest. But honestly, I think that the the poetry superhighway contest is more of an inclusive sort of like grassroots kind of kind of poetry forum and I think the contest really reflects that. It's it it's sort of like, you know, you're in charge of it, Rick, but you don't lord over everybody and, and, you know, tell them what to think or or, you know, what's good. You just sort of let it exist and, and let people bring to it what they will. And I really like that. <laughs> You know, I, I don't actually post this information to the, the, the email list or anything, but I do secretly lord over the list uh, over the contest. <laughs> 
when no one's paying attention. But um, but that's so nice of you to say as well. Thank you. Yeah, I think that you you have the spirit of the contest, uh, you know, in mind as as I have it uh, intended, kind of being an equal opportunity. Uh, uh, a, a contest for everyone, but but where there is kind of a legitimate, you know, rising to the top of 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 the best, you know. A, a case in point, um, uh, uh, Brenda Levy Tate, who's our third judge, uh, she's actually placed in in one of the top three scoring positions three times now, with three completely different set of judges uh, scoring her poetry, you know. So I, I guess that sort of speaks to the universality and quality of of her her work, but uh, but there is but but at the same time, it, it really anyone can can kind of rise to the top if your work is 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 good enough. I think so. Um, so Buxton, what about you? What about your experience in the contest? Do you do you also do you enter many contests? And and did you did, did you remember a prize that you won that you were particularly fond of or just remember? Yeah, I remember a, a prize. It was last year. That's that's been it. I, I've I've entered plenty of contests in the last ten ten years or so. It's you know sending a poem off and um, uh, with uh, ever diminishing expectations, uh, knowing that it's usually a nine hundred to one shot, um, and you know knowing that. Uh, you're going to get some letter or email, which I was, you know, think of as, you know, the kiss off letter has come. Uh, um, I remember one particular contest I, I entered several times, and, and every time I got a letter back, and someone had written in longhand at the bottom, in a, you know, a poetic looking scrawl. It's a strong entry. And, you know, about the third or fourth year, I, I got the same letter back saying, and it always said, strong entry. And I was, I'm thinking of this guy living wherever. Writing strong entry nine hundred times at the bottom of nine hundred letters and getting writer's cramp. I just, it just seemed rather silly. Uh, now, with with this poetry superhighway, you, you know, you enter a contest. It's really kind of like you're joining a club, and and you're not turned away at the door. Um, um, inclusive, I think, was a word used. Uh, uh, what I've, I, I really appreciate is is, uh, and everything you do with this this. Uh, this uh, site is I've never seen or, or sensed any hint of condescension at all uh, and everyone's made to feel welcome uh, and that's that's fairly unique actually thanks that's cool you know I um, uh, I appreciate that do, you, do either of you think with, with that idea that there's the danger of, of uh, quality not not being uh, evident in what we what we put out if we're if we're so inclusive, so opening to everybody. Well, um, I, I know in this matter of this 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 uh, contest, uh, you can just leave the condescension to us. I guess. I mean, we can we can uh, we can uh, lowball the scores, and 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 you can just uh, be there in, in California, uh, rather benignly uh, presiding over that and. I get to be a jerk. Um, but that's that, I guess that's one one take on it. Uh, the thing is about this uh, this has kind of reminded me of uh, my art school days, especially with critiques. The the thing I've always missed the least about art school, where you know it's a process of having your ego shredded, and then you take a turn and and shred when somebody else's and 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 feel like a jerk at the end. 
but I, I, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make some some value judgments about the quality of work, uh, there might be a, a little bloodletting. It's just I think you should approach it with some humility, knowing uh, how many times you've gotten a kiss off letter, uh, and no matter how many times people have maybe not even given your stuff a second look. So you kind of have to be a little humble there. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's uh, let's move on. Um, so, in case anyone is interested in in calling in to ask a question to the two judges who we have with us of this year's contest or fifteenth annual contest, we have Buxton Wells from Memphis and Amber Decker from Hedgesville, uh, West Virginia. Um, I can't promise to get those cities right throughout the rest of the show. I think I got them right just then, though. Um, do call in. The number is six four six seven one six seven three six two. Um, and uh, as we uh, get through the show, if we have time, we'll be happy to put you on the air and you can ask a question uh, directly to them. This is really a great opportunity uh, for you if you're considering entering the contest to ask a question directly of the people who would be reading your contest entries, reading your poems. Um, even if you don't call in, listening to the show is, is, is such a wonderful opportunity to gain uh, insights from these folks, to see what they're looking for when they're reading your poems, as well as to, to hear what makes them tick uh, poetically as well. So again, that number is 646-716-7362. All right, a little more about you guys uh, in terms of your interests uh, uh, poetically. I'm wondering, um, I, I did ask if you would um, uh, uh, be prepared to read a couple of poems, one by you and one by uh, another poet. So I'm wondering if we can start with the other poet and if you could both read uh, uh, the poem that you chose and, and also let us know uh, who your favorite author or authors are, if if not the 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 author of the poem that you read and why that particular poem slash poet as well. Um, uh, Amber? Uh, Well, I chose a poem by a Maryland uh, poet and essayist named Barbara Hurd, who I think is uh, really fantastic. And um, this is called To the Grackle Who Fell Down the Stovepipe in a Blizzard. I want to write about longing, about the way a body can change shape, pull itself into an arc and lean towards what it desires, slim, almost invisible, a sliver of moon. But what I keep seeing is you flying blinded in what used to be sky, white ocean where you could see nothing, not even the black arc of your own wing. When you felt that sudden pillar of warm air rising through white nothingness, you must have hesitated twisted your thin neck and looked with one eye down through white swirling mass towards the black circle opening like a warm tunnel beneath you. What you felt when the dull orange far ahead grew suddenly bright with flame will never be known. Or whether you tried turning back, the cinders flying up as your black body with its useless wings plummeted down, the way any of us halfway down a longing far larger than our lives tries turning back, feet trailing futilely behind us, numbness of indecipherable indecipherable blizzards at one end, sharp outlines of things burned beyond recognition at the other, your heart the size of a thumbnail thudding inside metal walls through which you dropped onto blazing oak, bed of ruby coals, wings brushing wildly against hooded doors, the first half of the wish fulfilled, the wish nobody will say out loud, the one that begs that somebody else go down while we wait at the upper edge for you to rise, bearing our desires in your chart and dripping beak. 
Very cool. So tell us why you you picked that poem. I just um I'm what I look for when I read poetry is a very uh evocative uh, evocative language. Um I love image I love uh concrete imagery and and things like that, but um I don't I don't really have a favorite poet that I can actually point to and say, you know, that's that's the gold standard in poetry. I, I like so many different poets and so many different kinds of poetry and so many different kinds of writing in general that it's really hard for me to narrow it down to just one, but that poem really stood out to me. Cool. Um, do you, um, do you? I mean, can you list uh, maybe a few names of, of when you, you first got started, of who particularly influenced you or got you excited about poetry or anything like that? Uh, and it's okay if no is the answer. I'm a, I, when I first started writing, I was a huge fan of uh, Billy Collins because he is sort of, uh, he's accessible and also uses uh, very interesting language. I, w- I would definitely put him on uh, my list as well. Cool. All right, Buxton, how about you? Uh, let's hear uh, about your um, your favorite uh, authors and, and let's hear the poem from the poem that you chose from one of them. Well, uh, it, it's hard for me to name a particular uh, poet. There, there's some I tend to keep going back to. Uh, I, I, did, I mentioned Yeats. I studied in school way back when, and uh, I've, I've continued to go back to his collected poems. Um, I also like Lowell and uh, Elizabeth Bishop, his mother's. But mainly, I you know I could string together a list of poems I, I reread, and uh, so it's not so much keyed on on one. But the uh, the poem I chose is actually by James Wright. Uh, I'd like to read uh, the first of his two poems about President Harding. This is called His Death. In Marion, the honey locust trees are falling. Everybody in town remembers the white hair, the campaign of a lost summer, the front porch open to the public, and the vaguely stunned smile of a lucky man. Neighbor, I want to be helpful, he said once. Later, you think I'm honest, don't you? Weeping, drunk. I'm drunk this evening in 1961, in a jag from my countryman who died of crab meat on the way back from Alaska. Everyone knows that joke. How many honey locusts have fallen, pitched root long into the open graves of strip mines since the First World War ended and Wilson, the gaunt man, jogged sullenly into silence? Tonight, the cancerous ghosts of old con men shed their leaves for a proud man, lost between the turnpike near Cleveland and the chiropractor's signs looming among dead mulberry trees. There's no place left to go but home. Warren lacks mentality, one of his friends said. Yet he was beautiful. He was the snowfall turned to white stallions standing still under dark elm trees. He died in public. He claimed the secret right to be ashamed. Wow, that's great. That that could easily have been a poem written written today. I mean, it's very modern in 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 the in the way it comes across. I think. Um, uh, very cool. Thanks, uh, Buxton. Um, interesting uh, uh, to hear your your influences, and I think it'll be interesting for people who are considering entering um, 
because you you know uh, uh Buxton you you cited some of the more classic uh poets as as some of your influences the people that you go back to and and Amber the the one name that came to mind was Billy Collins so I think that really um there's sort of an an equalization uh in a sense that that that's happening here and and one might worry uh, if they're considering entering the contest, you know, did, is my po- particular poem going to uh, be interesting or attractive to one particular, you know, to, to the judges? And, and there's clearly a, a broad sensibility just uh, between the two of you, and uh, and um, and I, I think that that's that's just a, a great thing for anyone considering entering. So, fantastic. Um, let's move on to. Your poem, the poem uh, that, that you wrote and, and chose to uh, present. Uh, Buxton, how about we go with you first this time? Well, okay. Uh, since I cited a poem about President Harding, um, I just decided to do one that I had, I don't know what got into me, to try to write a poem about President Lincoln. Um, but anyway. Hello? Hello? Hello. Hi, is this uh, uh forgive me, uh, Buxton, I think we managed to finally get uh Brenda on the Yes. Line. Okay. Yes, you did indeed. All right, Brenda, hold on just one one second. Uh Buxton is about to read his poem and then we will uh we will get to you. Oh, certainly. Okay. Uh well, hello there. Anyway, um where was I? Yes, it was called uh, Like Lincoln on His Deathbed. Uh the poem uh, starts with, there's an epigraph uh, from a letter of uh, Shelby Foote to uh, Walker Percy, where he says, I killed Lincoln last week, Saturday at noon. So this is like Lincoln on his deathbed. Mm. He worries not, he reckons not. He's carried in on a canvas and slung into bed by useless hands. The bed's without rebound or memory. He snores beneath his papers. It echoes down the corridors like the bark of an old saw. A father of eld, of wondrous days, washed up somewhere. It must be here. His face so darkened, almost burned, he must have caught fire in Virginia. Spanner of great divides is he, a black diagonal drawn on a plank, with a boot wedged against the footboard and the head cocked on a pillow, the one eye snapping its chain. Eternities among the trappings of his age. There's always a spare room, an odd hour to rehearse this falling down and across the known way. Enough to bow, but not break the slats. Where life would be forced with body blows, and he would be rescued with rescue breaths, and not minded, because he knows he's worth the candle or the breath alone. <coughs> well done, Buxton. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, so we're going to, uh, Amber, we're going to get to your poem in a second, but since we've uh, finally uh, been able to get uh, Brenda Levy-Tate on the line, let's take a couple minutes to talk with uh, her. Brenda is our, our third judge. She took second place in last year's contest, and she's from Tuscot, Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, Brenda, welcome. Glad you could make it. Thank you. I'm very glad I could, too, because the phone uh, number seemed to present some problems for my server and my system so i'm really happy to be here uh well i think it's just you know evidence of the growing tensions between canada and the united states 
Oh, I hope not. Please. <laughs> oh, I hope not. That would that would be disastrous if we couldn't even communicate. It's just something to do with the Magic Jack, I think. And uh, I was supposed to buy prepaid minutes or something, but I didn't know that until I tried to dial a number. So I'll that's, go next time. That's no problem. That's okay. Well, welcome aboard. I'm glad to have you. Um, Thank you. you. You, of course, have. Uh, this is kind of a uh, uh, third time around for you because you, you have placed in three previous contests, as I mentioned earlier in the show, which is quite an extraordinary achievement, especially considering that uh, it was three different, completely different sets of judges. Um, so uh, kudos to you for being here um, again. Thank you. I'm, uh, sure. And I'm wondering if uh, uh, you could uh, uh, let us know just a little bit about yourself and what you do for a living um, how you and how you came to poetry. How? Oh, uh, okay. Um, well, first of all, I was a a teacher for a long, long time, English language, literature, and uh, various things, even earth sciences one year, which was uh, a very interesting year. Um, but I'm retired now. I substitute teach still. I do uh, senior high level, mostly grade 12, or um, international baccalaureate English. I enjoy doing those. And um, I came to poetry really as a child because I loved the sound of words and language and the rhythms of speech. So I wrote poetry as a teenager, and I would never want to go back and reread it and uh, share it now. <laughs> but uh, then I dropped it for many years and came back to it in the late 1980s. I ended up going to a poetry workshop, and they motivated me to continue and push myself, which I did. And then I joined some online uh, poetry groups because the internet to me is the generator of poetry and it, it inspires thousands of people really to go out and write and share so from that I started entering competitions and moderating um, a couple of poetry sites and meeting people, fellow poets and then eventually I ended up with um, three different books published so uh, that's really kind of what happened to me and I think it can happen to many people in a similar way, discovering the internet and then going from there and getting feedback on your work and realizing that you really do have something to say and that people want to hear it and read it, that's really encouraging. So what you're doing with this contest is just uh, is an aspect of that. And I think it's a wonderful thing to do. Thanks. All right. Um, so just to catch you up with where we are in the conversation, um, uh, uh, we're, we're just finishing. Uh, we just finished the round where the where the other judges read a poem that they found particularly um, interesting or influential by one of their favorite poets. I'm wondering if you have uh, one such poem prepared to share. I do, and it's very short because one of my feelings about poetry is that you don't need to write a great deal in order to have an impact. I really believe that that less is more, and sometimes you can uh, kind of bury any good thought with way too many words. So my my one of my favorite poets still is Robert Frost. I've always loved him. He's a nature poet, and so am I. And uh, many of the things that he uh, speaks about are things that I know about. So I've always felt kind of a kin kinship with him. So a long time ago, well, not that long ago, but when I was teaching. Uh, I used to use a novel with my students called The Outsiders, which was written by F.E. Hinton when she was a teenage girl. And many people probably have read that book who are listening because it was taught in school for a long time, still is, made into a movie. And Ponyboy, one of the main characters in that book, 
loved this particular little poem, and uh, he kept thinking about it, especially as some of the events unfolded and uh, the tragic events particularly in his life, and in light of many of the contemporary tragic events that are happening even now, especially to young people, uh, it still works for me. And it's called Nothing Gold Can Stay. It's only eight lines long. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaf's flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief, so dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. And that's really all he said, but I think it's... Quite a, a profound poem for an eight-line piece. I, you know, I'm with you there. I think um, I, to me, poetry is all about the economy of language. You know, how can you say what you want to say with as few words as possible? Um, I, I joke in a poem that I wrote called "Rules for Poetry," where I, I list along. Uh, you know, a, basically a silly poem that with a bunch of crazy things in it. One of one of them says. Um, uh, never use adjectives unless you're trying to describe something and you don't want to do it the hard way. Um, uh, which is based on actually a you know a, a someone actually seriously suggested that you shouldn't use adjectives in poetry. Um, if you if you can't if you have to actually describe what you're you want people to to think about something, then you might not be doing it right. You know, in terms of just having the uh, Images there, so uh, less is more is, is definitely something that I subscribe to in poetry. And in fact, someone uh, in a in a poet of the week submission for Poetry Superhighway recently, someone commented uh, uh, that they love that I seem to quote rock the micro poetry vibe in terms of the the poems that I tend to select for a poet of the week and, and I don't know that that's wholly true there's certainly poems of different length but um it definitely speaks to this idea of of less is more so thanks for thanks for bringing that in Brenda Oh you're very welcome um I think too even when you look at the poetry that the three of us had uh, submitted last year that was chosen uh, none of those three poems is all that long they fit onto the page rather well. They're not great lengthy narratives. Um, I just I, I write long poems too. Don't get me wrong, I do. But sometimes brevity can count. And and just because someone has a very short poem and is sitting there, you know, at home maybe thinking, I'd like to enter this, but it really is just so little and it's so short, and they probably want you know a lot more words. I hope they're not discouraged to think that because it would be really nice to get a mix of lengths in in the poems that we get. That's an interesting question like you know people rarely enter haiku into a contest of that nature do do uh do I mean do any of you think a haiku has a chance of or, or a very short poem has a chance of really doing well in this contest? I I think so because I I'll be honest there were a couple entries that I read that I, I really enjoyed, but it just seemed like it should have ended like you know a couple of stanzas ago. It shouldn't have it shouldn't have gone on and on because they kind of they kind of beat their point to death, and I found myself kind of losing interest. Even though I, I tried to go back and read every poem about four or five times to make sure that I had had absorbed everything that I could from them, but ultimately I I felt that some of them could have been shorter and still gotten their point across and it would have been a lot better for it. 
Interesting. Um, uh, Buxton, do you have a thought on that? Well, yeah. I, it, it's usually uh, economy of languages is, is I think, a, a keystone. I, this, there are some topics that demand, you know, more wordage, but uh, usually you can you can trim away thoughts that are, you know, superfluous and adjectives to a minimum. Uh, I'd, even, I'd I'd also say similes to a minimum. Uh, I, they tend to jump out at me. Um, really, a, a good poem, uh, we boil it down, is usually a, a few uh, elegantly crafted declarative sentences uh, that have something to say. Uh, easier said than done, but that's what it is. Um, I always look for that. And, you know, as, as you say, sometimes... Uh, just throwing out imagery that sounds poetic and kind of throwing it up in the air and hope hope it lands right is maybe not the best approach. <clears throat> makes sense. All right, well, um, hard to believe, but this hour is zooming by and we have less than 20 minutes left, so I want to make sure to get to uh, Amber and Brenda, your your poems, and then really get into what we're looking for um, as we're as we're reading uh, the poems for the contest. So, Amber, what uh, what poem of yours do you have for us? Uh, this is called This is called Winter Solstice. I have seen the string of campfires leading the way to Valhalla on this, the longest night of the year. I have seen the wild hunters on the move, skeletons along the path stripped bare of meat and muscle. The travel drum of your heartbeat finds its way over the hills to me even now, distant and frozen as the moons of Jupiter, all sixty four of them. Only three as naked and raw as your breath as you said. I need more than you can give. Bowing, the horned god slipped silent away into the cold womb of winter. In the morning, deer come to the yard with frost on their backs. I feed them apples and hope against hope that I will see the skinny spotted legs of fawns in the spring, that something strong will grow where its seeds are planted. Hmm. Why'd you pick that one? I don't know. It just kind of, it, it fit my mood today. <laughs> I was going through my binder, and that one just jumped out at me. Would have been a different poem if we had the show yesterday? Probably so. <laughs> there you go. Okay, cool. Well, um, a poem from Amber. Um, Brenda, how about you? Let's hear your poem. I will read you um, a sauna, because it um, it's not as perhaps common now to hear formal poetry, and I just want to prove that we are open to this as well. And it's called uh, Naama Speaks, and, and Naama uh, was or, or possibly the name of Noah's wife on the ark. Maybe not. She could have been one of his daughters, but anyway, I, for this I've, I've looked at her as the wife, and her name is, is, is spelled N-A-A-M-A-H. So I'm hoping I've, I pronounced it right, but I don't use it in the poem. So anyway, he could have left the snakes, I've muscled out too many children not to hate the curse of Eve. No promised lands can reimburse me for that misery. And yet, this boat must have its conscience. So, despite my doubt, the serpents lurch aboard. My universe resounds with whinnies, hisses, squawks. I nurse my latest son, card wool, Milk cow and goat, the tasks a woman owns, 
No poisoned tooth could dare suggest I am unhappy. Still, I press my jaws together, biting truth into a hundred pieces. Not until we reach the mountains will I dream again of anything but beasts or babes or rain. Well done, Brenda. So we have uh, three different poems from our judges, um, and uh, you know, thanks again for uh, thanks, Brenda, for bringing in, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess a, a form poem just to just to sh- show, which which again is sort of the whole point of the poetry superhighway contest is being open to every kind of poetry that that exists um, with with really quality being the 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 one characteristic we're looking for to to have your poem rise to the top. Um so thank you all for sharing sharing your poems. Um just a, a reminder to anyone who's listening if you'd like to call in and ask a question to our judges uh the judges of this year's Poetry Superhighway Poetry Contest the number is 646-716-7362. Um so we've had about uh 26 or 27 poems come come to you guys so far. Uh, uh, there's actually been a, a many more entries, but uh, you you guys get the poems once uh, once people have actually paid the entry fee. So there's a kind of a huge log of poems where I haven't received uh, the entry fee yet that are just waiting to uh, be uh, uh, shot out at you. But I'm wondering if you can you sort of started this a little bit, but uh, can you comment on what you've received so far um um in particular anything that that you think might be helpful to people who um are considering uh entering specifically on on what you've read so far um let's see Buxton we haven't heard from you in a while well um kind of uh, segueing from the the uh, subject of length versus uh, brevity actually one of the better poems i received is actually one of the longer ones um you can't really uh, you can't really predetermine what's gonna you know impress you um though um for the most part the stronger ones have tended to be um fairly compact fair, fairly brief uh and of course that concentration of language you look for it's just one of those things I mean, when you read anybody else's poetry is is you're constantly surprised at a different way to attack uh, or approach rather a same, the same, say, general theme. Just, uh, just like a whole uh, line of thought that hadn't even occurred to me. So that's that's always a a pleasant surprise. Um, of course, there's also been um, a lot of entries where there seems to be a lot of reaching for I don't know, just. There's some sort of notion of what a poem is supposed to be, uh, you know, that's fantastic uh, imagery that's uh, rather, uh, I guess, fantastic, but not, I guess, organically grown. It doesn't seem to grow out of the poem by some sort of inner necessity. It seems applied. Uh, that that tends to come across. Um, and so, you know, my... Um, I, I've the majority have been kind of in that middle range for me. Okay, um, Brenda, what about you? Yeah, I, I think um, Buxton's raised some very good points. 
I noticed a tendency to to overwrite within some of the poems. In other words, more modifiers than are needed, uh, just more content perhaps um, than than would be needed. Maybe a, a tendency to go on past where the poem's natural ending should be. Uh, that having been said, there have been a couple poems with some length to them, especially that explore character, that explore um, a subject who is maybe human, uh, a human character, and uh, the challenges within that character and, and the way that that character relates to other people or possibly the speaker in the poem. And if you can develop a convincing um, persona, a convincing character, that goes a long way. That really helps to sell the poem. And I found that there were a couple there that will stay in my mind because of the people they created. And I, I could mm-hmm. see them as I read about them. Um, I, I noticed a few problems with some uh, spelling and, and punctuation. If you're going to submit a poem, for goodness sakes, run it through spell check, look very carefully uh, at where the apostrophes should go, at, uh, usage, and that sort of thing, because there always will be a, a, a typo or two creeping in. And it may just be a typo. It may be that the writer knows the difference, but somehow the gremlins came in, because they certainly do for me. And just make sure that when you send it, it's perfect, because if you write a brilliant poem, and then there is a line in which a word is misused, and the, the reader is scratching her head or his head to say, okay, why is that there? Or what does this word actually mean? Uh, it, it sort of diminishes the impact of even the best of poetry. So be really careful with accurate spelling and punctuation. Um, a couple of them that I noticed int- introduced rhyme, but they didn't introduce it consistently. And it became intrusive. And again, it seemed to be this idea of shoehorning in a poetic device because it sounded like it should be poetry. So they put rhyme in. And immediately there was a flag that said, okay, this is rhyme, these lines rhyme. But not all of them did. And if you're going to use rhyme, it needs to be fairly consistent. You need to know what you're doing, why you're using it. If it's a free verse poem, don't disguise it as formal. If it's formal poem, try not to you know, disguise it as free verse because either either way it's not going to work. So I, I have a real problem with forced rhyme. I definitely do. And there has been a bit of it. So just be a little careful if you're going to use rhyme. And the last thing is originality. And, and Duxon said, what a pleasant surprise or something to that effect. That's what I want. I want the surprise. I don't want to read the same thing that I've written about, uh, that I've read for a long time about lost love and relationships and um, evil people and all that. I want to be surprised. And a couple of the stronger poems really did that for me. It was unexpected. And that's a wonderful thing to be surprised. No lost love or evil people. I'm just making notes here. <laughs> well, also also to respect their own voice. The writer has a voice. Use it. And you are writing as you. You're writing as a poet in the year uh, 2012. You have your own style, your own diction. Use that. Use what you already know. And don't try to go back and become imitative of another era or another style that really isn't you. If you're not comfortable with it, we'll know when we read it. Uh, use your own uh, your own voice and make it authentic because your voice is extremely important. And that's really what I'd like to hear. No doubt, no doubt. All right, Amber, how about from you? Uh, the entries so far, what, I know you talked about this a little bit, but any anything to add uh, to, to what you've said in terms of your uh, perceptions of what you've read so far? Um, well, 
as I sort of go through the entries, I, I've been trying to push sort of my personal preferences as as a poetry reader out so that, you know, something that I might not necessarily choose three myself or necessarily like, you know, I, I will give it a chance and I will look at it objectively. And a lot of a lot of the poems that I've read, I'll, I'll, on the initial read-through, I'll say, hey, do I like this? On the second one, I'll look more at craft and and as Brenda was saying, grammar and punctuation and things like that and spelling, it, it kind of jumps out at you if, it, if it's not utilized properly. And as Buxton was saying, imagery, I've, I've already said I'm, I'm big on imagery, so a lot of times if the poem itself isn't as strong as it could possibly be, it might have a surprising image or two in there that I really latch onto that might boost the score a little bit. But there have been... Most of the entries, I kind of agree with Boxpin, have been sort of middle of the road for me. But there are a few that I felt have kind of have kind of surpassed that, and I hope they, you know, rise to the top. I guess we'll see. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I would have to say um, uh, it's it's interesting, you know, having being the only person who's actually seen the scores from the 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 twenty six or seven poems that, that you've read so far. Um, uh, you know, sometimes your scores are kind of on par with each other, but other times they're they're really not. Uh, you know, one particular, you know, poem got, got a five from one judge, but only, a, you know, a 2.5 for another. And a five is obviously a, a perfect score uh, because that's as many points as a, as a poem can score from an individual judge. And two and a half is, is halfway down. So... Um, so it's interesting to you know you mentioned you know like Buxton they're all kind of middle of the road but clearly there's there's there, from the sensibility of the three of you there's definitely some some differences so I would suggest that uh, that any any particular poem coming in has a fair shot with with the three with the three of you um, so we're we're rapidly running out of time I'm I'm wondering if if uh, beyond what you've said about the poems that have actually come in, your reactions to those poems, poems. if you could um, maybe speak more generally to what it is that you're looking for in poetry, uh, oh, the poetry that you enjoy, what you love about um, pieces that you read, so people um, considering entering can can uh, can keep that in mind. Brenda, how about you? Your turn to go first. Okay. Uh, what I love in poetry is uh, for someone to touch me at a level uh, at which I'm not normally touched. And to do that doesn't always um, happen. It's not always easy. But when I read Dylan Thomas, I look at the way that he shaped language so that it became music, almost, verbal music. And music touches me because I sing and I love music. So uh, there is a certain point at which using language itself um, becomes a way of accessing the reader or, or entering the reader's awareness. And if you are good at using language, and if you're a poet, you should be good at using language, that's one way to, to communicate. And it's not the same thing as reading a sentence from uh, a novel of choice or a textbook because you're sculpting language. So I, I really do want to be touched. I want to be touched emotionally. Uh, I want my mind to imagine what it is that you're sharing with me and I don't want to have to struggle too hard either. If I'm going to be reading your poem, I want to be able to enter into that poem 
And I don't want to have to read it four times before I actually get it or before I actually understand what it is that you're saying to me. I'm willing to do a bit of work because I'm the reader, and I think readers have a responsibility to work. But I also would like the poet to have done the work for me of translating whatever he or she is thinking into words that I can then pick up and receive. Otherwise, there's going to be a miscommunication, and I'm not going to be touched. And I really want that. I want that feeling of of being touched somehow under the skin where it really counts. Great. Thank you, Brenda. Uh, Amber, back to you. Same question. Uh, when I'm reading poetry on my own, most mostly what I'm drawn to is poems that can really pull me into a moment and, and communicate a, a moment in time or a, an experience. Even if I've never experienced it before, I, hmm. I, I really am drawn to the ones that can communicate that experience to me and and put me in that moment. And as I said, you know, I am a sucker for good imagery, surprising juxtapositions of words and and things of that nature. But I I agree with a lot of what Brenda said. I like being being touched, so to say. (laughs) We'll keep that in mind. Um, Thank you, Amber. Uh, Buxton, to you, same question. Well, I, I guess uh, to answer that, I'd, I'd use the example uh, that I, I read, uh, James Wright. I've never thought of him as a particular favorite, but I I, I know that the, the poem I read had, had a lot of the elements I'm looking for. I mean, he started out, um, he, he writes about, like, President Harding, of all things, but it's it's not the... Uh, it's not the matter of, of the subject. He he was really writing about himself. He just projected it onto onto this almost comical figure to us now. You know, mainly known as possibly the worst president ever sit. But like I say, it was about about a, a larger sense of failure and futility and, and even pain. Um, and that, that's maybe the difference between that poet and that poet's son, who's now a popular poet in his own right. I, I, in 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 the offspring, you see, uh, it's all personal agonies kind of laid out on the page without any sort of um, interposed uh, distance, uh, and maybe a little room for more reflection and and, and wit. Um, just uh, just the ability to surprise uh, with something that seems like unpromising material, because you find a way to bring the personal into the poem. In a, in a superficially clever but really a deeper way when you closely read the poem. Thank you, Buxton. Thanks for those insights. Um, well, guys, I, I'm I'm always astonished at how quickly this hour goes by. I have one, literally 60 seconds left, so I, I just have time to close out the show and say thank you for spending this hour with me as well as uh, uh, for all of the work that you're going to be doing over the next uh couple of months in terms of reading everyone's poetry. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. You're very welcome. And thank you. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, I've been talking with uh, Brenda Levy-Tate from uh, from uh, Tuscott, Nova Scotia, Canada, um, Amber Decker from Hedgesville, West Virginia, and Buxton Wells from Memphis, Tennessee. They're the judges of this year's Poetry Superhighway 
contest. Uh, get all the details on how to enter at poetrysuperhighway.com. Uh, the contest is open to everyone. We've got uh, three great judges who will be reading your poetry. You've got a great chance to, uh, to, uh, to, to possibly win the contest. And, of course, everyone gets a prize just for entering. So uh, check it out. Thanks again to our judges. Uh, looking forward to, uh, to reading everyone's poetry. Bye. Bye.